have let the, uh, the 26 individual stories of people being healed in the Bible, we've just let those wash over us. It's just been, it's been incredible, hasn't it, to just uh, linger in the Gospels. And so let's kind of just look at some things that we've learned, and then let's look at how do you receive healing today, and how do you give healing away to others. Does that sound good? All right, so uh, here's some of the things we've learned. One is that Jesus is the revealer of God. <clears throat> but I hope that came through to you, that when you see God, when you see Jesus, you're seeing God in the flesh. You're seeing God with skin on. Jesus is the word of God. God has spoken to us in a way that we can understand it through the person of Jesus. God takes himself, our humanity, and says, this is what I'm like, this is who I am. So when we see Jesus acting, we see the Father acting. When we hear Jesus speaking and see him interacting with people, we see the Father interacting with people. So I come away, when, I, when I come away with Jesus, I know that I've had an encounter with the real and true God. Not a shadow of him, the actual God himself. We've watched uh, that which is God in the flesh. He makes people whole from their deepest inner person to their emotions, their lacerated emotions. He says, be made whole. He takes the whole person, everything that was wrong, and he makes it right. We watched him deliver people from uh, the demonic, the shackles of the demonic, over and over again. And I hope that uh, as you leave this church building that you see the sick differently. Right? I think one of the first signs that your mind's renewed is actually begin noticing sick people. Like, man, should I pray for them? Like, what should I do? Like, how many of you guys have had that happen? You're like, hey, I'm looking at them a little bit differently. Yeah. You know what? That's your mind being renewed. Congratulations. God is doing a work on it. Yeah, that's good news. And now the, the next level is when you begin to add hope and expectation to it. So it's not just, oh, no, there's a sick person. Am I supposed to pray? It's, oh, thank you, Jesus, that you brought a sick person my way because I've got some good news for them. You see, there's a difference. There's a hope level. There's an expectation level because of who God is, not because of who we are. And when you're sick, how do you now look at yourself as a sick person, right? Have these studies changed your attitude? Have they changed your expectancy of what God wants to do in your mind? Even if you haven't received the fullness yet, um, I'm hoping that there's an expectation level. Wow, I got, God's will hasn't changed, but I can change and come into line with that will, right? I think... Um, one of the things that we have to see here, besides Jesus revealing the Father, is it's always God's will to heal. Okay, God wants you well. Jesus perfectly revealed the Father, and what did he do? He healed every person who came to him, and every person the Father led him to. And he's only doing what he saw his Father doing. If, if God had a will other than healing, he did a horrible job of it in the person of Jesus and the rest of the New Testament. I mean, it would have been so easy for, like, the ten lepers for, like, hey, let's do half and half. You know, I'm like, like no, he healed them all. He healed people with little faith, dormant faith, itsy-bitsy faith. I mean, he just, uh, he, great faith, he healed all of them. It's, it's awesome. God wants you well. So if you were to go through um, the Gospels, which is the, the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, Jesus doesn't have people solve problems of character before they're healed. He's never like, you know what, man, it's just, there's all this sin. There's, it's this great chasm between you and God. No, no, Jesus bridged that gap. He came and was God right there. He didn't say, hey, go take care of this pornography problem. Go take care of this gossip problem. Go take care of this worry problem. He doesn't make them get rid of sin before they get healed. He doesn't make them wait for a future time until it's, it's the right time. Well, you know what? It's not my will right now. You're still in the middle of some important lessons. But, you know, at this future time when the blood moon happens and the Shemitah lines up with this Jewish holiday, no, he didn't do that. They came to him and they got healed right there. Just read through the Gospels without any preconceived ideas, and you'll see that uh, every other page of the Gospels practically is Jesus confronting sickness and healing it every single time. Listen to John 21, 25. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. Listen, we've only looked at 26 different people. That wasn't the only people that got healed. That would be wonderful. I mean, 26, 
I mean, dead raisings, that would be amazing, okay? That was, uh, guys, there was more miracles in one week of Jesus' ministry than the entirety of the Old Testament. He said, if we write them all down, I don't even know if the, uh, the world could contain all the books. 18 times in the Gospels I counted where it says, Jesus healed them all. Speaking of the multitudes and the crowds. The fact is, um, when we read through the Gospels, the overwhelming evidence is Jesus never turned anybody away. He healed all who came to him. And it's interesting, whenever Jesus uh, stood before sickness, he treated it like an enemy. Yeah. All right, someone, someone's got the revelation. Do, do, I, do I hear a second here? What's he doing? He's rebuking sickness. He was mad at it. He was angry. He comes against sickness with a holy rage. Sorry, I just found a funny typo. He comes against thickness with a holy rage. He comes against sickness, even when it's thickness. You have to feel this in the Gospels. When you see God, he's not just, oh, boy. Hun, nun, nun. I was supposed to be a Gregorian chant. Hun, nun, nun, hey, no, bless you, my child. Like, he's angry at it. Like This should not be. He rebukes sickness as an enemy, and he commanded it to be gone. He drove it out. Guys, we can never let sickness just become this doctrine which we debate on Facebook. That's fruitful, isn't it? Well, I don't believe it's always God's will to heal. Well, let me get on my keyboard and convince you. Yeah. The only time we saw anyone, as we look through these stories, the only time we saw anyone questioning God's will was the leper. It was the only person in the whole New Testament. It's interesting. People don't doubt God's ability uh, today. Oh, God can do it. I just don't know if he wants to do it. For me. Well, there was only one person in the New Testament. You can understand. I mean, the religious people, not the Bible, but the religious people taught that that, uh, that leper was cursed by God. It's your fault. Aren't you so glad that uh, religion doesn't blame you for your sickness? Whew. Yeah, they still do that. And so they said you were cursed by God. They would, they would shun them. They would actually throw stones at them to get them away. And he probably had good reason to say, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me well. Like, you can see why he would question these things by the way religion had, had, uh, had treated him. If you're willing, you can make me well. Do you remember what Jesus' words were? So the New Testament was written in Greek, and it doesn't come across super strong in English. But um, when Jesus, we translated it, it would be like almost he's pounding his fist in his hand, he's stomping his feet, and he's saying, of course I'm willing. How could you think anything different? Be made whole. Because we have to catch the passion of Jesus. Sickness wasn't just something that was a nuisance or, you know, just here's part of my, my messianic duties. That is the God that we meet in Jesus Christ, and he shows us it's always his will to heal, and sickness is to be treated like an enemy. We can't let, uh, when we say it's always God's will to heal, we can't let this sound like some cold legislation delivered from some celestial congress. Isn't that a powerful phrase there? I worked hard on that one. It has been decreed that it is God's will to heal from you. Let it be written. Let it be done. Oh, yeah, thanks for that command. No, no, we, we have to, the key phrase is not the will of God. Here's the key phrase. Jesus was moved with compassion. That's the key phrase. It's God's will because God is love. It's the will of God because God looks at our human condition and he's moved with compassion. He's not up there with arms folded waiting for you to pry his hand open with your prayer and your fasting. I'm not dealing with a cold will. I'm dealing with a hot heart. All right, there's a couple of people waking up to some good news here. I'm dealing with the heart of God when he looks upon our human condition and he's moved with compassion. What's compassion? It's the wrenching of the heart. It's when that holy love meets that holy anger. The holy anger is this should, this should not be. And the holy love says it shall not be. 
And those two things come together, and that's compassion. It's, it's, it's like the, your insides are being ripped out. God is being moved with compassion. Compassion is not just sympathy. Sympathy will sit there and weep with you and feel bad for you and leave you in the same condition. Compassion is always moved to pull you out of that condition. Everything Jesus said and did, he did out of that motivation of compassion. You could put it this way. The power of God always travels on the highway of compassion. You guys remember 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There's a list of some gifts of the Spirit. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, healings, miracles, faith, and discernment. Well, they, I think we got them there, all right? So, and so, so, when you, so, so that's 1 Corinthians 12. Then you go to 1 Corinthians 13. It's the love chapter. Love is patient. Love is kind. You hear it read at weddings, right? I love it when you hear it read at weddings for people who don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Because 1 Corinthians 13 is the whole motivation for the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 13, love is the motivation. 1 Corinthians 14, here's how you work the gifts of the Spirit. I don't know. It's just my own, my own private little enjoyment when that happens. And what is, so what is it saying here? There's this divine flow. When you begin to feel that love of God, when you, so you're, you're looking at somebody, you're noticing them, you're feeling that divine compassion, you're feeling that divine flow. It's God tapping you on the shoulder, letting you know, hey, I want you to release a gift of spirit to help this person. I thought that was better than that. <laughs> the power of God always walks along the highway of compassion. Okay, just soak in it, just soak in it. Just, do, some, do some snow angels in it. There you go, all right. <laughs> It's easy to think about power and want more power, but we need the compassion and the power will be there. We need the compassion because along the road of compassion, there walks the power of God. So not only is it the will of God to heal and he looks upon us with compassion, but Jesus heals so that the Father may be glorified. He heals you because he loves you, but he also wants, he heals you because he wants you to see this is what dad's like. Sometimes they're called signs and wonders, and those signs point to something beyond itself. Like that exit sign is not the reality, it points to the reality. Like there's no one climbing in the ladder and trying to like squeeze through the exit sign, right? It, it points to something. And a healing is just a sign pointing to the healer. It's telling you this is what dad's like. He's compassionate, he's full of power, and he wants to move in your life. Jesus healed because he loved, but he also healed in order to give his father glory. To reveal, this is what dad's like, unconditional love. So the disciples are walking by this man, and they begin to have this petty theological argument. Did this man sin? He was born blind. Did he sin? Did his parents sin? And Jesus says, forget all of that nonsense. This man is blind, but that the works of God may be manifest. Let's glorify father by healing him. Let's forget all this theological nonsense. Let's show him what dad's like. Come on, somebody. We never leave the fact that we're healed because God loves us. And uh, you have to understand this. God doesn't heal you because you've earned it. Our, our human flesh is always looking at performance and earning. And we're trained from this. I mean, so when you, uh, when you get an allowance, you don't get an allowance because your parents unconditional love. You get an allowance because you cleaned your room. Right? You, uh, you know, when you get rewarded for your report card, your parents are like, all Fs. You know what? doesn't matter. We're going to treat you as, no, no, you, you get rewarded on your performance. Your boss, I mean, you don't, you don't get unconditional love reviews. Right? You, get, you get performance reviews. Right? Your, your, your boss isn't like, listen, you've been late every day. You're distracting. You're falling asleep at work. You stink. Your, your, our customers are leaving in droves because of you. Here's a raise. Like, like, like no, unless they're your dad. But maybe, uh, even then, hopefully your dad's going to show you some love. Right? And so, um, yeah, yeah. So 
It takes a revelation from God to see that the very nature of God is to give, not based on our deserving, but based on who he is. And so many times, we'll look at this here in just a second, but so many times we're trying to turn our faith, God, I've got enough faith. I've got to have, I've got to have, got to have faith, faith, faith. There's even a song about it, right? It takes a revelation to see it's God's nature to give based on who he is, not based on how you behave. Do you really get that after 26 weeks? You're healed for the glory of God. You're not healed for the glory of your faith. You are not healed for the glory of your lifestyle or the glory of your devotions. You're healed because of who God is, not because of who you are. I'm hoping we're just going to just give up and say, let him heal me. I think it's the opening words of Song of Songs, let him kiss me. You're just, you're just surrendering to it. This healing becomes a revelation of who God is, not who you are. God heals for the glory of God. God never wills or causes our sickness. But you know what? Our, sickness, our sick bodies become an opportunity for him to show what he's like. He doesn't cause it, but in the middle of the mess, he says, here's what I'm like. Boy, if that could sink in, that would enter, we could enter into a whole lot more rest. A whole lot less anxiety and striving and worrying and trying so hard to get it right if we just said, so be it unto me. Luke 11, uh, verses 11 through 13. What father among you, if, he, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give, instead of a fish, give him a serpent? I mean, like meanest dad ever. Like I've seen some funny videos on Instagram, but I've never seen a dad who, like, whose kid's hungry. is like, here's a snake, you little brat. <laughs> or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. I mean, come on. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus is inviting us to use just a little bit of sanctified logic here. He's saying, listen, just look at what a halfway decent dad would do and multiply that by a thousand times. That's what the Heavenly Father will do. If you, uh, if, if you dads, wouldn't you want to be able to relieve your kids of sickness? Well, multiply that a thousand times, hashtag duh. Of course, God wants to heal your sickness. A little sanctified logic here, gang. So Jesus demonstrated all power over brokenness of every human condition, all the powers of the demonic. And I want you guys to understand that when it came to the demonic, it wasn't an equal battle. It wasn't like Jesus is like, whoa, 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 legion of demons? Okay, guys, we, we got to get away for a long time. I got I got at least 41 day fat. Like, there's none of this. There's no, it's not an equal contest, okay? Uh, the scales are hopelessly tipped. The powers of darkness don't have a chance. You guys got to remember this. The opposite of God is not Satan. The opposite of Satan is Michael the archangel. They're both created beings. As high as, high as God is above the grasshopper, he's that high above Satan. Remember way, the way I described it. I want you to think of reality. Here's the reality. Is, um, you, uh, everything that you can see is the blazing glory of God. Every direction that you look, as far as you can see, the blazing glory of God. And there's this little black blob in the corner of the room that's insignificant in the time of things, but he's there for now. That's Satan. This insignificant little dark blob in the midst of the blazing glory of God everywhere that you look. Right now, he may see, seem powerful and close, but when things are all done, he's insignificant. When we see Jesus, we see the reality that the demonic cringes before him. Remember, we saw that in the very first miracle. Jesus binds Satan in the wilderness. Remember that sermon? We looked at that. Binds Satan in the wilderness. And he comes out of the wilderness, and every demon is cowing from him. Are you the one? We know what you did to our master in the wilderness. We know that you completely trashed him. Are you here to destroy us before the appointed time? You guys remember this? They're all freaking out. Uh, apparently, they got some incredible gossip network in the, in the demonic because all of them had heard what Jesus had done. 
they fled before Jesus because it's an unequal battle and they've already been defeated. You guys have to understand this. Every demon that you will ever face knows about the cross of Christ. They're waiting to see if you do. I'll take it one step further. There's actually no such thing as spiritual warfare. Warfare implies a battle between two enemies, one of whom has yet to be defeated. It's a really weird battle when you're battling the enemy because he's already been completely defeated. It's a matter of spiritual authority whether you're going to recognize it and stand in that. Yeah. People always get louder when you talk about the devil, how defeated he is. I don't know what it is. This is good, though. This is good. Remember the story of the demoniacs of Gadara? One story had just focused on one demoniac, another one had two in, in the Gospels. Jesus lands in the middle of Graveyard Beach. Remember this? In the middle of the night, these guys are coming out foaming at the mouth. They got broken chains. They're cutting themselves. They're naked, all sorts of craziness. And Jesus casts out demons until they're sitting there, sitting there in their clothed, clothed and in their right mind. Standing open mouth before that power, he, you have to see, they, it had to be in awe that he could command the entire host of darkness with a word. That's Jesus. And you got the lepers. I mean, if you were to go to a leper colony today, you'd see bodies being eaten away, their flesh decaying. As, decaying. as they spoke, they'd have those raspy voices because their vocal cords are, are ulcerated. And 10 of them, as they were going, they were healed. Can you imagine just suddenly they're, they're feeling areas that they've had numbness to. They're, now they're getting feeling back, and their skin is, is beginning to be reformed. Maybe even missing, the guy who said you've been made whole, maybe he had missing limbs that are suddenly restored right there. And that same almighty power of God surges through the cells of your body and my body to make things well. This wasn't like there was biblical power, but now today it's a little bit different power. No, it's the same Jesus. And kind of in the ultimate finale, there's a man who'd been dead in the grave for four days named Lazarus. His sister was being practical when Jesus said, roll away the stone. She was being very practical. Don't roll away the stone, for by now he stinketh. His body is rotting away with decay. Rigor mortis setting in. You can imagine, this is, this is a disgusting sight. It's not like they had refrigeration back then. It's, it's very humid. Uh, when I was in Israel, did I tell you I've been to Israel? <laughs> they love me there. And with one phrase, <laughs> and with one phrase, Lazarus, come forth. The dead body was transported. Remember this? He was bound in grave clothes at the back of the cave. It was transported, stood in the front of the cave, wrapped like a mummy. The disease from which he had died with had been healed. The body that was uh, decaying and rotted had been restored, and he had been brought back to life. One, one, one phrase, Lazarus, come forth, and thank God he said Lazarus, otherwise all the dead would have been raised. <laughs> ultimate power. And that ultimate power loves you. Not just you in a crowd, you in general, you as the church, he loves you. And he was moved with compassion to show you what the Father was like. 18 times in the New Testament, Jesus said, your faith has made you well, or something similar. And can we just make faith what it really is, something simple? They came to Jesus expecting him to help, and oftentimes their faith wasn't perfect. Like, every time except the centurion. The centurion is like, hey, great faith. The other 25 times, he had to help him out a little bit. We saw some of them, they were absolutely surprised by the grace and love of God. Remember, there was a couple miracles where they're sitting in the synagogue. Jesus calls them out. They're kind of shocked. They come forward and they get healed. They don't even know what's happening there. On one occasion, he praised the centurion for great faith. But you know what? The guy who had great faith got the same miracle as those who had little faith, struggling faith, mixed faith, dormant faith that he had to wake up. He didn't get a greater miracle. They all got the same healing. 
And of course, on one or two occasions, Jesus was amazed at unbelief. I want you guys to get this. Unbelief is not little faith. Unbelief is not mixed faith. Unbelief is not uh, something else, okay? Um, unbelief is hostile faith. It's antagonistic to the gospel, okay? Uh, we can't believe so. Uh, unbelief is, yeah, it's not this little faith, dormant faith, mixed faith, confused faith, tiny faith. No, no, Jesus can work with all those things. He can't work with that hostile unbelief that's against God. Miracles aren't for today. God can't do this. And, well, according to your faith, be it unto you. We can't blow faith out of proportion where we're focusing on our faith. Okay? Well, if I have faith, God will heal me. Mm, that's not faith. Faith doesn't talk about itself. Faith talks about Jesus. I wasn't healed. I guess my faith wasn't strong enough. You didn't have faith. You were focusing on something else. Faith focuses on Jesus. Those statements are in the same category as the whole legalistic bad news. That you must do and you must perform and you have to have faith. And if you don't have faith, then God's not going to reward you. Many of us are not healed because we're giving too much attention to our faith instead of to Jesus. Dramatic pause. <laughs> Let me say it again. Many of us are not healed because we're giving too much attention to our faith instead of to Jesus. I'm hoping this thing's getting simpler and simpler for you. It's very possible to confuse true faith with faith in my faith. That is, my faith is in my faith, and when I have enough of it, God will heal me. Or I have so little of it, God will never heal me. What's happening? My faith is in my faith. If I could just have more faith, then I have faith that I'd be healed. If you go into the grocery store, you should be concerned with how much money's in your checking account. A lot of people think like faith is like their checking account, and they should be concerned with how much they've got. But you see, the good news is our faith is in God, not in our faith. And he healed people with itsy-bitsy faith, dormant faith, mixed faith. If our faith is in God, it doesn't matter how, how big the faith is. It's the object of faith that's important. You can be holding on to a little corner of his pinky because love is reaching out and grabbing hold of you. It's not how big my faith is. It's how trustworthy, how lavish is his love, and how mighty is the power of God. That's what counts. That's what I'm resting in. That's when I'm pushing all my chips to the center of the table and betting it on he is who he said he is. I'll take that. Faith isn't even aware of itself. Biblical faith is faith in his faithfulness. It's not faith in how much faith I've got. It's faith in how big he is. I love what we're, uh, we were reading earlier. Jesus is the author of our faith. In other words, he's the one where faith comes from in the first place. We don't look in ourselves and go, okay, whew, if I can just get some faith. Okay, everyone quiet. Every, every head bow, every eye closed. Music playing. Got to get faith. No, 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 no. Faith doesn't come from looking for faith or looking from within. We saw how many times we see Jesus interact with people. He'd have conversations. He would ask questions. He would do things. What was he doing? He's creating the faith in the first place, and then they'd get healed, and he'd congratulate them on the faith that he created. He's like, hey, good job. They didn't have any faith. He's the one who created it. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. It says faith is a gift from God. So in 1 Corinthians 12, there was a gift of faith, but all faith is a gift, and it comes from fixing your eyes on Jesus. When you see Jesus who he is, when God reveals that to you, faith is like a reflex of action. It's not something we work up. 
Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be moved. A grain of a mustard seed, that's the smallest seed on earth. A lot of people, they get like the opposite point. You've got to have this mustard seed faith. No, no, no. He's saying, if you just have itsy bitsy teeny weeny, yellow polka dot bikini faith, if you just have that little kind of faith. <laughs> the emphasis is not on the greatness of faith. The emphasis is on the greatness of the person that your faith is in. If you have faith plus doubt and total confusion, it's okay. It's still not unbelief. But Jim, I got questions. Oh, great. Jesus is awesome at working with questions. I got a bunch of doubts. Oh, yeah, he, he can work with those too. You can still come and someone can pray for you and bring you to Jesus. You don't have to have it all figured out. Or you can pray by yourself. You can pray something like this. Lord, I'm sick. I don't understand what's going on, and I'm not sure about you sometimes, but I'm resting myself in you so that you may give, you, give me your compassion, your help, and your power. I give up. You could pray a prayer like that. Listen, guys, you can feel safe with God. I know some people have been beat up by religion, said you're not worthy, you're not good enough, you didn't do this, it's your own fault, it's your generational curse, blah, blah, nonsense. The very heart of all prayer is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I want you to make up there, come down here. I got some good news for you. There's no sickness in heaven. There's no hospitals. No emergency clinics. So we're going to take that reality and bring it into this reality. At the very heart of prayer is an abandonment to the love of God with whom I'm safe. I'm abandoning myself to his goodness. God, I don't have it all figured out, but I'm abandoning myself to your goodness. You see the base for coming to him? I'm abandoning myself to God. He's good. I'm going to be okay. A few years ago, I had some digestive issues, and I went from 189 pounds down to 164 pounds uh, the hard way. I lost 25 pounds through... Diarrhea. <clears throat> There's just no easy way to say it. I don't know. Yeah. From the Greek, diarrheus. You know, you can't even spiritualize it, right? <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, so I'm about, I'm about back up to 189. I'm still pretty thin. You can imagine 164 is pretty thin uh, for my size. It might have been 162. I can't remember. And so uh, my body wasn't doing good. It just I, it wasn't handling food well. I, I don't, I'm not totally sure what was wrong with me. But I remember uh, Brian Simmons came and he did. Brian Simmons is a teacher. He's the one who translated the Passion Translation. We love Brian. And he came and did a teaching on the Song of Songs. And basically he revealed how the Song of Songs wasn't just a picture of a love between a man and a woman. It was a picture of a love between Jesus and his bride. And I mean, it, was just, it was just like waves of love are crashing over me. And it was just like I couldn't take it anymore. It was like I, all the, whatever was going on in my heart and mind. And so Brian called out. He was doing some prayer at the end. He calls out a word of knowledge for disease which I did not have. And I was like, it's close enough. It was something related to the stomach. It was, it was totally not what I had. I was like, I'll take it. And I got completely healed that day and haven't had that sickness since. Yeah. What happened? I just abandoned myself to the God who loved me so much. Why it took me so long? Don't know. Don't care. It's gone. The Virgin Mary is almost like a perfect picture of, uh, of Christianity. Uh, she hears these incredible words that you who are a virgin, you're going to have a child without a father. Like, 
I mean, I don't know, wouldn't you be like, I've got questions, like, like this has never been done before, this doesn't make any sense, like, Jesus, have you taken biology lessons, like, like how does this whole thing work, right? What does she say? Be it unto me according to your word. What is that? Faith is resting in who God says he is, even when it may not make a whole lot of sense. But Jim, my, my body's screaming something differently. The doctor's report says something this. Lord, be it unto me according to your will. I'm abandoning myself to you. Some of you just begin to pray that prayer in your heart right now. Just give up. God, I, I can't figure this out anymore. It's too stressful. I've been trying to the nutrition route. Listen, God gives nutrition. That's all under, uh, wonderful. Get healed and eat well. But Jim, my poor eating habits have caused this disease. And I, I've been doing this. I've led, led a sedentary lifestyle. Get healed and then get in shape. He's not punishing you for your bad decisions. He wants you well. He, a good dad would do that. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Okay, so how do I prepare myself uh, for a healing miracle from Jesus? Um, how do I prepare myself to heal other people? Okay, you guys ready for this? Because uh, strangely enough, the answer to both questions is the same. You guys ready for this? Fixing your eyes on Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith. Can we make this any more simple? If we go back again, so many healings we saw. Jesus, he's having conversations with this person. Sometimes there's a crowd there. So here's this crowd, but within the crowd, he treated them as if they were just one person. That's what I love about these stories. Sometimes he's pulling them out of the crowd. He's treating them as one person. He's one-on-one. He's asking them direct questions. He's opening their hearts to himself. Sometimes he's making statements, and the way they would respond, it would pull faith out of them. Faith was created, dormant faith was vitalized, weak faith was strengthened and stretched. Okay, so what do you and I need to do uh, above everything else? You and I, whether you're the one who's sick and you need healing, whether you're about to uh, minister healing to someone else, we need those encounters with Jesus. Everyone's like, oh no. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Listen to Hebrews 11. So Hebrews 11, what happened? Did my mic go out? My mic's popping? All right. This is my son whom I well, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Test, test. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your seat. There you go. I don't want to say rest because that means, yeah. All right. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is an entire uh, chapter about the faith of heroes of the Old Testament. Here's how chapter 12 begins. So he, chapter 11 is these stories of faith. Chapter 11. Therefore, since we are surrounded by, such a, by so great a cloud of witnesses. In other words, here's all these people of the Old Testament. They're cheering you on. Here's a, it's a picture taken directly from the Greek-Roman Olympic Games. That's where the Olympics started. And they would have a stadium with a track around it. And as they would run around the track, there would be this emperor's chair. And so they, were there, you know, they could run their race and everything. But as they got to the uh, part with the emperor's chair, protocol was every runner was to look, fix their eyes on the emperor, keep running the race. And as they stood before the emperor, uh, the winner, they would receive their laurels wreath, which is kind of like their gold medal. They would stand before that chair. So Paul takes, or Paul, whoever wrote Hebrews, I believe it was Paul. Anyway, the author of Hebrews, um, he picks up this imagery and he says, you're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses in the stands. And as you're running, he says this. Here's the next verse. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Guys, it's so easy to look at a whole bunch of other things during the race. He's like, fix your eyes. Let me read you a couple different translations. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the NIV. Keeping your eyes on Jesus, 
New Living Translation. Looking unto Jesus. Um, New, New King James. Looking only at Jesus. New American Standard. Uh, Amplified's a little bit longer. Looking away from all that will distract us and focusing our eyes on Jesus. Uh, the Weymouth uh, New Testament, fixing our gaze upon Jesus. And you know what? Brian Simmons just nailed this one. You guys ready for the Passion Translation? Let's pop that one up there. Hebrews 12, 2. We look away from the natural realm, and we focus our attention and expectation onto Jesus, who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. It's saying don't look at where you're going. Uh, don't look at the doctor's report. Don't look at the pain in your body. We're not ignoring those things. We're not pretending like the doctor's report says something good. We're not pretending like your hip doesn't hurt. We're not pretending like the diabetes isn't coming back to your sugar levels. We're not pretending those things. Instead, we're looking away from those things, not putting our gaze, our attention. So many people are meditating on their problems, picturing worst-case scenario. Many people know more about medicine than the doctors did 50 years ago. Like the devil puts one symptom out, and they've Googled, and they've given themselves three diseases. And there's one in every family. He's saying, don't look at where you're going. Don't look at your symptoms. If you're sick or you're going to minister to the sick, the first thing we have to do is say, Father, give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus. That's a prayer that Paul prayed in Ephesians 1. Unveil Jesus. Let me see him clearly. Because when I see him clearly, I see the Father. And when I see Jesus clearly, faith is a natural byproduct. Faith is a reflex of reaction. Open my eyes to see this Jesus that we've looked at today and we've talked about for 26 weeks. Take your eyes off your sickness and look away to God who revealed himself in Jesus. Listen, you can't let your sickness control your beliefs and your expectancy. Some people hear these diagnoses, AIDS, cancer, COVID, arthritis, incurable, terminal, right? And these words, they just paralyze our mind, right? And people hear these words, no cure, and they begin planning their funeral. They hear you've got six months to live, and when they, in their mind, they see themselves as having six months to live. They say you'll never walk again. They picture themselves living the rest of their life in a wheelchair. They never even question it. Here's what I'm saying. Look away from the natural realm and focus your attention and expectation onto Jesus. By, by whatever means necessary. Refuse to accept the limitations that a doctor will place upon you. We're thankful for medical professionals, but they ain't God. Okay, I'm not downing anyone in the medical profession. We're, we're thankful, everyone, because they're keeping Christians healed enough that we can have faith. God's not against medicine. He's against being number two. You guys ready for this one? Separate yourself from friends who have already buried you. We all know people are going for tests. Like, like, like they go in for tests for something wrong, and the family's already weeping with them. They haven't even got the report back. Oh, no, it's going to be horrible. Cut them out of your life, and everyone's got at least one of these in their family. Someone who, oh, who knows someone who's died of the very thing you've got. Jesus put out such people. He could not and would not work miracles in their presence. And there comes a time when you've got to, you and I have got to put those friends out of our life, and when you're healed, then you can go visit them again. You're welcome. But right now, you can't afford to have them polluting your mind. When it comes to the mental and emotional, stop defining yourself by some of the phrases that have been dumped on you by a psychiatrist. I talk with people who begin to describe themselves with the diagnosis of the psychiatrist as if that's them. 
This is me. I've got this. I'm schizophrenic. I'm bipolar. I'm this and that. That is not your identity. That's a diagnosis from which you're going to get healed from. We've had all that stuff, bipolar, schizophrenia, um, schizoaffective disorder, all that we've seen Jesus heal in an instant. Also, while we're on the subject, I'm, I'm circling for lamb, I'm almost done. Take your eyes off of human superstars. Okay, I've been teaching on healing for 36 weeks now. And guess what? We've got people who are emailing in and calling on a regular basis. And guess who they want to have pray for them? Where are their eyes? I'm a guy talking about healing. He must know. In church, guys, we've got lots of people who can lay hands on you in the name of Jesus. You know what they're called? Believers. He didn't say super apostles will lay their hands. He said believers will lay their hands on sick. What are believers? People who take their eyes off of your circumstance, off of the size of the tumor, off of the shriveled limb, off of the blind eye, take their eyes off of that and put it on Jesus. Those are believers. And we put our hands with expectation, and if it doesn't happen exactly as we did, we can, we can, we can change, but God doesn't change. God's not up there like, oh, I'll wait for you to get better. No, no. We just, we're getting to that simplicity of just surrendering it to him. Coming with simple expectation. Guys, we've got to get back. Guys, there wasn't like, it wasn't rocket surgery in the New Testament to get people healed. These were simple guys who smelled like fish. These were simple fishermen. These weren't like the creme de la creme, the elite of the elite. But they'd been with Jesus. They saw how he did it. And they expected it. And it happened. And it says they turned the world upside down with their teaching and miracles. Guys, this world is desperate for us to turn the world upside down. They're desperate to see a God who's more than just against abortion, against transgender, against dot, dot, dot. Guys, we've got to be defined by what we're for, not just what we're against. And what we are for is whether you are, whether, regardless of your beliefs, regardless of your political party, God wants you well. Before you deserve it, before you earned it, and even the nine who never thanked him, they may never thank him, be made whole. So get your eyes off of the superstars. You don't need a superstar. It's Jesus who heals you. It's not prayer who heals you. It's God who heals you. And I encourage you guys, search the scriptures. Maybe get a concordance. Maybe do an online search. However you're going to do it. Look up scriptures that deal with God's unconditional love. Write them down and think about them often. Get that compassion. Get that love of God in your heart. Go back to these uh, 26 healing miracles uh, that, that we've looked at. Look at all of them. Write them down. Uh, maybe, maybe re-listen to the message. Uh, help me, let me help you paint a picture in your mind and then meditate on it through the week. Guys, we've got to get these things on the inside. And you'll be doing what these people that we've been studying did. Well, blind, blind Bartimaeus, he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Where did he get that from? Well, he'd been listening to the accounts of what Jesus did. He'd been listening about the things that Jesus said. He'd been weighing the evidence, meditating on it. And as a result, he had a concept of Jesus that called him to cry out and expect. Guys, weigh the evidence. Listen to the accounts of Jesus. Write them down. Study them. Think about them. And come to the conclusion and come to him with expectation. Let's stand for closing prayer. How are we doing? <clears throat> 27 weeks. 
Yeah. And I feel like the conclusion is simpler than when we started. Fix your eyes on Jesus. If you get nothing else, fix your eyes on Jesus. When you're getting ready to pray for somebody, don't think, oh, no, what happens if I pray nothing happens? Mm, I would try something else. I would try fixing your eyes on Jesus. Well, what, what, am you think, what are you thinking about? I'm thinking about his compassion. I'm thinking about how he healed every person who came to him. I'm thinking about his absolute authority over every sin. It's not my ease, death, demonic. I'm just letting that wash over me. And I'm coming to him with expectation. It's not my authority. It's his authority. I'm just a representative. I'm initiating an encounter. Shoulder be healed in the name of Jesus. So I'm going to teach you guys how to heal the sick. You guys ready? All right. So in a moment, you're going to get in groups of three or four. And um, here's what you're going to do. You're going to get your eyes on Jesus. You're going to let that compassion, you're going to see that holy anger and that holy love. This should not be him, him wanting to heal, him confronting that sickness as an enemy. All the things we've been talking about, not all of them. You just focus, pick one of them. Focusing on Jesus and, hey, what do you want to see happen when we pray? Well, I want to see my shoulder healed. I want to be able to move my shoulder. So ask, initiate the encounter, have him check it out. That's it. What do you want to see happen? Well, I, you know, my neck, it, it won't turn right. Something's screwed up. I slept on it wrong or whatever. I, I, I played softball over Memorial Weekend. I haven't played since last year, and I hurt myself. We're expecting some of those this week. And so um, and I, I stop asking and start commanding. Jesus wasn't like, Lord, if it be your will. He's like, uh, stretch out your hand. Ears be open. What's he doing? He's speaking to the mountain and telling it to move. It's not just semantics. We're taking the authority. We're not asking God to do it. He told us to do it. And so shoulder, be healed. Have him check it out. And if it gets better, celebrate it. If it's not all the way, you get to pray a second time. Every partial healing in the, in the uh, ministry of Jesus turned into a complete healing. That's good news. All right, you guys ready? Groups of three or four. Eyes on you. Guys, we're practicing. There's no pressure here. We're, we're completely abandoning ourselves to this God who loves us. And so uh, we're practicing here, and guess what? We'll practice again next week. And the next week after that, we just won't be doing a series on healing. Get in groups of three or four. Ask people, well, uh, what do you want to see? Ha- who, who needs prayer in the, in, the, in, this, in the group of three or four? Ask. Initiate the encounter. Have them check it out. And if there's improvement, I want you guys to clap. Go for it. 60 seconds. Don't take too long. 60 seconds. Go. Go.